Hey everybody and welcome to a new episode of The Cusp Show, the Columbia University Sports Podcast, where we talk about the business of sports. And I do that with my partner, Joe Fabrito. I'm Tom Richardson. We're sitting in the bowels of Columbia University in New York City. Happy to be back together. I haven't done a show together in a while, Joe. Lewis and Hall, and we're not in Studio 2B, yeah, unfortunately. Our alternative studio. studio. Yeah, yeah the, the, the old studio. So, yeah. uh, but it's good to be back. By, by the way, Tom, show. we've got a producer who's joined us today. Why don't you introduce Royce? Royce. Say hello. Hi, I'm Royce. <laughs> so Royce is our uh, one of our Columbia students who is a whiz kid working at Amazon right now, correct? That's right. right. So, so Royce, thank you for all the good, good work for Tom you're Cerny. doing. It's a yeah, pleasure. So, Appreciate yeah, it. It's good to have you involved. Here we go. Um... Anyway, so Joe, I know you've been busy, a lot going on in the industry, uh, a lot of conferences. It seems like there's an event or a conference it's every conference week. conference season. Yeah, and you're going to be going to, I guess by the time this comes out, you'll be in L.A. Yes. for World Congress, and yep. there's 40 under 40 and 50 under 50 over 50. and 73 over 100. Yeah, I mean, it's just I it's kind of endless. Pass, so I don't yeah. qualify for any of them. So, um, so yeah, so we should do a, a, a chat about all the conferences and what's going on oof. in the industry generally, but... We want to get back to one of our favorite topics, which is the disruption that's happening with technology and media, uh, particularly in the form of VR, virtual reality, which is a hot topic uh, this week because we're in the midst of March Madness. And one of the things that's gotten a lot of press is the March Madness VR package. It's available through Turner. And we're about to start the baseball season. We're about to start the baseball season, right? And then... A pretty big announcement this week in that uh, the NBA uh, just launched an app specifically for the Magic Leap One, which is more of an augmented reality technology. We're going to talk about that today with our guest. So there's a lot going on in this category. And to me, as someone who's been uh, focusing on working in and teaching digital for as long as I have, this to me is perhaps the most interesting category because I think it's the biggest game changer of the 2020s. Mm-hmm. that we're looking at both business-to-business and business-to-consumer. So we'll get into that a little today. So we're really happy to have a, uh, a wonderful guest to help us break this down and talk about it. We have an entrepreneur who is doing a really fascinating business that some of you may have heard of, especially if you're in the New York scene. So we've got Rahat Ahmed from Trinity VR. Welcome, Rahat. Thanks for having me, guys. It's, it's uh, really good to sorry. have you officially because I got to meet Rahat one or two years ago hear about the company and learn a little bit about what they're doing. At one point. Yeah, yeah, he's met Joe before, Small world, yeah. so it's good to finally have you on tape, so to speak. Uh, <laughs> and he's going to be joining my class, which is uh, awesome. Looking forward to that. Yeah, it's going to be fun. So um, we have a lot to talk about on this topic, but let's get to know you first. Sure. Tell us a little bit about your background and a little bit about Trinity. So first of all, I love, I love sports. Uh, I don't think you end up in this industry if you don't love sports or you know cry for your teams. Um, still remember the very first Rockets game I went to uh, where we won game six against the Sonics. I think this was 93. The Sonics? Yeah. Did you grow up down there? I grew up in Houston, yeah. Okay. And uh, and then game seven, we lost in overtime, 103-100. Never forget that. (laughs) Okay. You have the exact score. Oh, you don't forget these things. Kenny Kenny Smith missed a three at the... uh, That was 93? That was 92-93. So who was the Sonics? That was Deadlift Sharks and... Sean Sam Perkins. Sam Perkins. Yep. That was like one of the first stretch, uh, the stretch plastic, fives. The plastic man. Six nine, and yeah. on the corner, we didn't have anybody really. Boys high school. That. Yeah, um, but you know, these are the memories that make you who you are. So, um, but I've had a kind of a roundabout way uh, to end up here. Um, I actually went to college for finance, 
uh, ended up working at a hedge fund out of college uh, focused on emerging technologies. Where'd you uh, go to school? NYU. That well, other school down. We'll down, down, down a little down, bit further down. Down Broadway. On the, yeah. uh, on the red That's line. okay. We're friends with them. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's uh, covered a lot of uh, emerging technologies, uh, focused in Asia quite a long time. So it's actually funny. So many of the companies that we run into nowadays uh, are companies that I've personally covered. Uh, above, you know, top of which is probably HTC, which now has one of the leading VR headsets. Right. I used to cover them when they made the very first good smartphones. Wow. So, you know, the world comes around mm-hmm. uh, in, a, in a matter of words, I guess. Um, fast forward a few years, I, I left the space, um, did a couple of years in nonprofit. I was personal passion in uh, blood cancer, bone marrow donation industry. Uh, I was a strategist there. And uh, then leaving that, I wanted to do something, you know, come back to the you know, for-profit sector, uh, private sector, do something in the, in the disruption space. And uh, Reach out to this guy I met about three, four years before, Julian Bowen, who is uh, co-founder and chief of product now. And I remembered him as just being obscenely smart, right? And hit him up, and he's like, I'm doing this thing in VR. I'm like, VR? VR is stupid, right? What what year was this? This is 2014, beginning of 2014. So dial up. Oh my God! Yeah. This is you know, and, and I think well, a lot of people didn't know what the acronym was. <laughs> you know, then. Well, and anybody who did, they had the stigma of Nintendo uh, Virtual Boy. Right. They're like, wait, you mean like the Virtual Boy? I mean, it's not a. It was a joke. We, we, and funny way he sold it to me was, I. So I mentioned this to you guys a little earlier. I used to play Counter Strike competitively, like obsessed when I was in college. Right, probably lost a lot of uh, great points because of that. Uh, and Julian pitches, to, pitches it to me in a way. He says, "Well, imagine you're, you know, um, in a hallway uh, in Dust Two or something, and you're looking straight, but you throw a grenade on the left while you're shooting on the right." And my brain's like, "Wait, I can't process that. How does that work?" <laughs> and he was explaining to me how your hands are independent of your head, and it just blew my mind. It's like, wait a minute, if this actually works, this is this is massive. And two months, two and a half months later, one day uh, I get off the subway, check my phone, Facebook buys Oculus for $2 billion. Yeah. And I, I, I text over media, I'm like, all right, let's do this. <laughs> it, was, wow. it was just that simple. Yeah. It was the first time in the industry, uh, history of VR, that we actually saw real monetary investment. It's something that just never happened before. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was super exciting because without capital, these industries can't go. They are capital intensive, unfortunately, right. especially well, the Magic side. Leap has learned that. Oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> to the uh, tune of a billion plus, I think. Oh, or right. maybe more. Yeah, I think they, they're Multiple? raising even more, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, That's a lot of Luckily, capital. they have, what, Alibaba, AT&T, and Google. Yeah. All right. Not, not shabby partners. Yeah. Um, we, uh, we worked in the VR space for about two years. So, um, did, did Julian have a concept in mind when he just, or he just he yeah, threw we, out the concept, so the general concept So, what we were doing for the first two years is we were figuring out ways to interact in virtual reality. So what, we, was it sports or just in general? It was it was in general. It was all about just interactions. We hadn't even gone that far. Um, what we had focused on was building a device that allowed you to interact. So it basically looked like a controller that allowed you to kind of like you know shoot things or move things in space. Uh, we actually did one of the first Kickstarters in VR for it. Uh, did not go as well as I hoped. Uh, we had hoped, which was in retrospect probably a blessing. Um, it's a controller that, you know, if I showed you a picture, it's very similar to another one that's on the market nowadays, which I think is kind of funny. We were just a couple of years too early. Uh, 
we did a bunch of work for the next two years. You know, one, probably the most famous piece was we built uh, a shotgun uh, and did the integration for the Walking Dead virtual reality uh, game. Wow. Yeah. It's actually really a lot of fun. Uh, really fantastic experience. We, you know, we went to the drawing board and we said, okay, this is nice and all, but we want to build a five-year defensible, 10-year defensible company that changes the industry. Like, we have high aspirations. And uh, one thing we realized about VR is that it's actually a very low-cost, effective, scalable simulation platform. Now, simulation is something that you always hear about because you hear, you know, NASA or Air Force, etc. They're building these massive devices. I talked to my buddy who's a Navy pilot, and he's saying the same things. Like, I, this has to be like, you know, six-figure build-outs to even get this stuff rolling, running. But it's also not scalable because they're physical hardware. So we started exploring that, and um, you know, I have three wonderful co-founders who all have slightly different skill sets. And at one point, we started tinkering about with sports. Started thinking about baseball partially because a it's one of the largest, if not the largest, data set in sports, which is important. Two, um, when you sign a major league team, you get access to their whole minor league system, which is also very important for scaling. And three. You wanted uh, to make sure that you could actually execute. So hardware and software had to be there in order to want to build something mm-hmm. complex. And baseball uh, checked all three of those boxes. And between us four, we were able to build a system uh, that we call Diamond FX, where we were effectively replicating a pitcher from the opposing team. Um, and uh, I guess to break it down, it's three key parts. One is we have a proprietary pitch modeling engine that can recreate any pitch one-to-one, uh, taking either TrackMan, uh, <clears throat> PitchFX, or RepsoDo data. So as long as the data is there, it can go back historically as long as there's data. Correct. So uh, Major League Baseball has PitchFX data dating back to about 2007. Right. Uh, some of the early stage data is not as clean as we'd like, but what, when we work with the team, they actually give us the data because everybody, they like their own data sets. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, I, we respect that, and, and we're there to facilitate that process. Uh, second is you know the wind up and delivery of the pictures themselves. Uh, we want to make sure it's realistic, so we have a uh, uh, engine that we built in house that can take any 1080p or 4K video that people have from the backstop of the picture, strip out the environment, and boom, it looks like a real. So it's not you standing there on the green screen, no. trying to be. It's funny you say that because at the very beginning we did try animations that were like a little more generic, and it just wasn't sufficient. And now you have so many amazing cameras that can not only do the detail, but also slow it down so you can pick up fingerprints, things mm-hmm. like that. And that's important because I'm not, you know, one thing we've learned, obviously, is, is no single team has the exact same demands. Uh, but what we have learned is there's enough key things that they look for that we are constantly looking to solve those problems back and forth. Uh, and the third part is actually something I'm really excited about in the mid to long term is we also try to replicate the decision making. There's a lot of data out there for that, but also there's an element of, okay, uh, you know, Tom, you go up against Verlander. We'll use Verlander's historical tendencies against you, but the next 20, 30, 40 bats you take, he needs to learn from your behavior. Wow. So you have your own Verlander going forward in your life, right. which is a little scary, I guess, to think about. Um, so we put that together, and that's the core of our system. Um, and, you know, it's been exciting talking to teams, uh, you know, None of the four founders are actually athletes or sports people. Julia's gotten pretty good, actually, at uh, getting some uh, some coach out pitches, though. Um, I would say 90% of our product uh, has been directly uh, dependent on feedback loops from the teams and others. I think that's what has been so valuable in the process, because when you work with people who are, are just 
they're in the thick of it. They know their stuff inside and out. The last thing you want to do is go up to them and say, hey, guys, we built something using it. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the best lessons we learned. I mean, thankfully, we didn't have the arrogance to go in and do that. But it's been a very good lesson just in general to actually ask before building. So, so before we get kind of into the, the, the big picture, just out of curiosity, is it hitting and pitching or is there fielding and running and other aspects of the rest of the 360 degrees of baseball that you can have? Sure. So right now it's mostly focused on recreating the pitcher, so more batting related, batting and pitch recognition. Uh, there are some different use cases that we're exploring right now. Uh, it's effectively still a function of what data that we have. Right. So, for instance, we're interested in looking into things like field effects data mm-hmm. to see positions and maybe we can, we can, there are things that we can elevate. One of the things that we always do is talk to our hardware partners. So, companies like HTC or Valve, they have new hardware coming out that might allow us to do A, B, or C. So, mm-hmm. Valve, for instance, has a controller coming out called Knuckles, uh, which is not in the market where you can actually do a grip. And that grip allows you to do a lot of things that you couldn't before. And it's pressure sensitive, so you know exactly which finger is pressing down harder than the others. So that's something that, in a six-month window, opens up opportunities to a different aspect of that sport. Wow. So t- tell us about the the reaction in the marketplace. I, I assume you've called on many, if not all, of the teams in Major League Baseball, uh, minor league baseball perhaps, over, I don't know if you've gone overseas. But what's the typical reaction? So I'm sure you're getting lots of different opinions on this. And it's also, is it a training tool or is it a consumer tool? And can it be both? Like MLB has had that, you know, the one simulator that some teams are using for their fans, mm-hmm. which sometimes is great, sometimes isn't so great. Which is we We went straight to the top. We wanted something that was validated by the best teams and the best players. Um, one thing we've learned is, and we've, we've kind of looked at other sports and other spaces for this, if you start with a consumer product, it's really hard to sell it to the best. Yep. Uh, if you start with the best, you can bring it down to consumers. So we're probably averaging five, ten emails a day from, I just got one, I think Kalein and Shaw just emailed me saying, hey, I have a headset at home, can I download your software? And we get this all the time. So it's something that we're planning on doing um, over the next six months. Uh, it was yeah. actually Bryce Harper, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's something that the we're season starts tomorrow, I need to... <laughs> Um, I think I think what's important about the consumer aspect is that something that wouldn't be doable six months ago or a year ago because we're about to go into the golden age of the or the first golden age potentially of VR consumer hardware. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, let's talk about that. There yeah. are headsets coming out that are going to allow us to do that. Uh, but early on, I will say that some of the issues was uh, were related to the fact that they didn't really know what it what differentiated our product. So there, for example, we don't really depend on video. Uh, we focus a lot more on game engines, which allows us to make it very scalable. But more importantly, it allows us to extract a lot of data. So, you know, we can, for example, it, we do have a fairly high-end batting simulation product that we're developing, where if you can, if you take a swing, we're able to tell you if you make contact against the virtual ball, what the exit velocity is, etc. And is, the, is it a wireless bat? You use your actual bat. Really? That's interesting because most of the things I've seen are, you know, cumbersome, bulky. Wired bats to don't work. So th- these are, it's actually a great question because these are the lessons we've learned. You have to let a battery use a real bat or a real bat or it doesn't work. That's you, really can't, you can't do something fake. So until we can solve that problem, it's not an optimal solution. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's that's just something that we're going to continue working on until we get it right. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it comes to pitch recognition, I like to think we have a very, very, very good product. <clears throat> and 
and uh, you know, I wish I could show it to you. Uh, maybe we'll set it up one day, and yeah. you'll see the detail and the granularity, um, the spin rate, the stitching, all that stuff matters. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so, so go back to my question and just um, offer a little bit more color on the reactions mm -hmm. you're getting. Um, in terms of like not everybody's buying. Probably there are some skeptics. There are, oh, no, there are probably some early adopters who can't wait to get it. Yeah, I, I think part of it is just they've, they've been clouded by the idea of VR is it's going to make you nauseated. Right. It's going to mess with the player's eyes. There's no proof of that. More importantly, uh, newer and newer headsets are taking advantage of that. Yeah. Um, you know, if I'm Facebook or Amazon or you know HP or uh, whoever, I'm not spending billions of dollars knowing that I can't access 30% of the market on day one. Uh, there are there are things that are being done continuously to, to improve that scenario. Um, I'd say as as a coach, some of the older uh, old, older school coaches, uh, you know, technology sometimes is speaking of dial up. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, th I think we've been able to convert a good amount of people. Um, but uh, going back to kind of what you said earlier, I want to really focus on the idea that we're not coming in trying to replace anybody or anything. We're trying to add value to something yep. that everybody's already doing. And I think that's what really is, is important to understand. Um, I think there are two key things that we'll be able to do with the technology. One is you know, uh, assessment and uh, training and development, which is to say, hey, listen, 18-year-old uh, kid, it, like, you know, let's say you got it set up in, in Dominican Republic or Cuba or somewhere like that. You run your kids through there against pro-level pitches. Suddenly, you were able to identify those kids at a very high level very early, which means you can accelerate the way they move them up through the minors, right? On the other hand, um, and that, that has a both development and uh, scouting ability there. On the other hand, let's say you got guys in AAA or AA who you're really interested, maybe they're 20, 21 years old, well, put, put some Kershaw or Verlander or whoever against them. And if they're able to practice in advance of them, when you bring them up, maybe they're ready to go. And that's got a lot of value as well. So I don't think we've seen two teams use the use product the same way, which is pretty awesome. Because you have everybody from rehab uh, where you know they can just practice against the pitchers in advance without taking any, any physical contact to uh, uh, pure data guys who just love to see the potential of, of scaled uh, analytics. And Rahad, is there, is there enough evidence, because you've been doing this for a while now, sure. there's enough evidence that there's a demonstrable improvement when so players use we, this? We did a beta with three major league teams. Um, we have enough data to show there is improvement. However, we are continuing to do that. In fact, one of the things I'll be talking to your class about is that we do think it's a longer process for, for full-scale validation. Uh, funny thing is, once it's fully validated, this just goes to zero to 60. And so, you know, pushing the boundaries here is something that we just have to do. Right. Uh, and we accept it. We, we take that responsibility on and we take it very seriously. Yeah. So you get a little bit of the wait and see. It's like, one, yeah. if, that, if it works with that other team, come call, call me back. A exactly. Yeah. I mean, there are always teams who wait around a little for... Uh, technology to prove itself, there are other teams who will take that risk, damn it. If you were to make a prediction uh, on the B2B side of the business, which is where you're focused for now, about what sports would be most adaptable to this, to your technology, where might you go next? Um, well, I think one of the most obvious things here is softball. I don't think I have to ex actually explain that one. Uh, but, uh, you know, one of the things that we're looking into is golf. Uh, we think golf is a very massive market. It has very similar dynamics, but not the exact same structure. And I think because we're tech guys, ultimately, we'll be able to kind of build out the product that the industry wants. 
uh, using our expertise that we have currently within Facebook. Yeah. All right. And then uh, I want to go back to this uh, provocative statement from a few minutes ago where you're talking about the golden, golden age, age of consumer yeah. VR. So let's let's talk and, about that. Cause and we should throw AR in there, too. Yeah, an AR, which is actually in the marketplace right now with, with Apple and Google. And uh, I don't think it's widely used yet, but there are plenty of AR applications that you can try. But um, I think the bigger story, as you mentioned a few minutes ago, Rahad, is this... this uh, kind of key moment in time when randomly, it seemed somewhat random when we all woke up one day and said, Facebook was buying Oculus. And everybody said, <laughs> why would Facebook buy a VR hardware company? So uh, dis- discuss that. I mean, I, I think there's so many ways to kind of look at that. My first thought was, hey, if I'm Facebook and I've got, you know, billions of people on my on my website, if I create a virtual world, a la like Second Life or World of Warcraft from back in the day. And, Ready Player One. Yeah. And, and I say, hey, listen, we're going to build a mall. That mall will have 100 million foot traffic a month, but there's only 100 stores. How much do you think H&M outbid Zara for that slot? So that's kind of how I look at it. There is, there is at some capacity, uh, capacity supply and demand, uh, but that's, that's you know, the, the world ends up living in a virtual world in some capacity. And we've done it on the internet. It's not like we haven't, we've seen this happen. The next iteration is the virtual aspect of it. Uh, it makes perfect sense that they pull right. that. But, but so what's, I, I mean, it seems, it seems pretty obvious that one of the issues has been the high price of the hardware for consumers. Yep. Is that it, it, so? Do you think that reduction in, in consumer electronics prices is kind of the, t- the beginning of the tipping point? There, yeah, definitely. Uh, there are and more software being available. Two things that I'm I'm very big on when it comes to how it's going to scale. Uh, first thing is you need wireless headsets that don't need a computer, right? So right now, uh, a year ago, for example, if you wanted a, a kind of a really good VR setup. Fifteen hundred dollar uh, computer plus eight hundred dollars on the headset. You're over two thousand dollars. Most people do not spend that much money. Obviously, you have the personalers, etc. But that's not a scalable consumer product. Uh, first time I got super excited about this in September. I was at Oculus Connect, and they announced their new headset, which is coming out I believe next month now. The Oculus Quest is four hundred dollars. It's wireless, and it does not need a computer. And it's, and I would imagine it's much more lightweight than very light. And the biggest thing is it does something called inside-out tracking. So uh, for anybody who's familiar with Oculus Go or Samsung Gear VR, uh, one of the issues historically was that maybe you had a controller in your hand. That controller was not relative to your head. All right, it was relative to your head, but not to your body. With the Quest, you can actually move your hands independently and your head independently, and it knows exactly where you are. And that's huge because that means one of those controllers could theoretically become a baseball bat. You can shake your head around uh, on the batter's box and then swing that Quest controller and it's just like, feels like a real thing. That's massive. And at $400, that's, that's huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, similarly, there are some other options coming out. So let's say you do have a computer at home that's powerful enough. Uh, Hewlett Packard is coming out with a headset that I'm kind of excited about called the Reverb, uh, $600. Uh, again, inside out tracking. You don't need additional cameras or sensors outside. Those are, those are pretty big deals when it comes to the ease of setting things up. Uh, Oculus also at GDC last week announced a similar thing. The Oculus Rift, the new iteration, the Rift S, will not need outside sensors. It's actually embedded into the headset. So inside-out tracking, huge. Um, looking forward in the next three-plus years, I think the biggest thing is actually going to be cloud computing and 5G. Uh, you're going to have a, a cheap $100 headset that's as powerful as a 
no, uh, GeForce RTX 2080 because the processing is not going to be done on your headset. I'm mm-hmm. um, already, like, for example, I'm beta testing uh, NVIDIA's cloud computing or cloud rendering system right now. We've got to go to his house. And yeah. it's, it's exciting because I can play a video game. Uh, most video games without any discernible lag, even though the actual processing is being done somewhere else in the world. Yeah, no, it's, it's fascinating. So one of the things I read about this NBA AR app for the uh, Magic Leap 1 is that there was one? There was a copy line that caught my eye. Something like, "You can watch live games without a screen." Right. So you've seen. So that we know. Just I, I think most of everybody knows that these are goggles that you buy. The Magic Leap One. It's called right now. They have. They call it. I love this euphemism. The Creator Edition, which costs two thousand two hundred ninety-five dollars. <laughs> so you better be very creative. Of the Hololens. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyway, so. When we acknowledge that that's a like a V one for developers yeah. and creators and stuff like that, but explain that you know the AR experience in that context of Magic Leap because it's not exactly sure. what you were just describing, right? Yeah, so, I mean I, I think AR and VR. I get this question a lot where people like say who which, which is going to win. It's it's not like that. To me, one of the comparables I make is, is desktop versus mobile. You need to have both options. Sometimes people are on their phone. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people are on their computer. Um, if I'm at a bar or at a restaurant, I'm not going to use a VR headset. Right. Um, now, what's interesting is when you think about it, an AR headset is basically a VR headset in many capacities, except that it's see-through, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so you could build a headset. I think in 10 years, we have one product that does both. Uh, but, yeah, you just need to block out the light, and suddenly that's not an issue. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's very reductive how I'm saying that, but, you know, that's kind of like the gist of it. Yeah, because the problem with VR right now, as you've heard people talk about it, is that it really is a singular experience, and sports is a communal experience, which is why people thought AR would accelerate through. But if there are glasses or headsets where I can actually, and, and enough connectivity, whether it's 5G, where I'm actually playing in the world, where I'm literally sitting with someone and we're yep. interacting, that changes everything. I mean, it's, it's kind of like uh, at Oculus Connect this year, they actually had the first uh, ESL-sponsored esports event where it was, a, it was a game where multiple people were on a stage physically moving around within a map. So it became a multiplayer experience even though it was in VR. It's like the Star Wars chess game. That's, that's the goal. Wow. <laughs> and I think in sports, we're going to get to that. Uh, Live-like, I'm sure you yeah. know those guys. Mm-hmm. You know, they've got the experience where you can watch a game with somebody else. Uh, I think it's just a matter of time until that becomes Right, more so more let's reality. talk about that exact point because that seems to me the big w- potential win uh, for the world of pro sports and college sports sure. too, and that is the idea of a social virtual reality experience where you can effectively go to the game with your friends in real time. In real time, have, as they say, courtside seats. Let's talk about an NBA game. Interact with your friends. Bring in all the data and other things you want to do, and it's going to be an awesome experience. Yeah. Like. Five years out, seven years out. I think it's way, way closer. We've got uh, we've got avatar avatar technology right now that can basically figure out what you're looking like and showcase it to you and, and, and you guys in a virtual scenario, just based on the way our face face is moving and our voice sounds. Uh, you know, our our voice does certain things when we're annoyed or angry, and then you can match that to what your face would look like. Right. It's some some amazing stuff going on in that space. Yeah. And, yeah, I think it's actually going to happen faster. Like, one of my favorite things is watching movies. And sometimes I don't get to watch a movie in a theater, put on my, you know, uh, Oculus Rift or whatever, and then load up a movie theater product. And suddenly I'm in a gigantic movie theater watching Blade Runner. Uh, And, you know, 
sooner than later, you're going to be sitting next we to your We have to go to really? <laughs> really? We're going to make an appointment. Yeah. Um, uh, but no, that's a very exciting prospect. And then, uh, to me, one of the fascinating questions is, how does that get monetized yeah. in sports? Yeah. So, and also could, can, talk about your business and how that. Right. So, so right now there's a uh, Joe. You know this. I, well, both of you guys know this. Um, you can buy a VR package for March Madness, mm-hmm. which we're in the middle of right now. Now, I don't know. I don't know if you guys know anybody doing that right now. I don't. Um, but I've been anxious to hear about it. You must know generally. I've actually done research on it. I'm going to show you some numbers that okay. I have. So I, I kind of, you know, NextVR is one of these companies that's one of the leaders in the space. Yeah. And they kind do of, the work for the NBA, right? Yeah, so I, I kind of just did an analysis of like a typical NBA right. uh, game. What you could do if you could resell a seat, you know, right. over and over and over. Right. And the potential per game skyrockets. Right. Uh, and in this scenario for those listening, uh, basically estimating that the arena revenue per game and tickets and concessions is 100 bucks a person. You got 17,500. Which is cheap in New York. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was the average I took. Okay. Um, so you're making $1.75 million a game. However, if you sell a virtual seat for 10 bucks, uh, you sell 100,000 ga- uh, tickets to that game. And that could be anywhere around the world. I mean, yeah. Think about China. Just think about China watching in the LeBron NBA. And, yeah. You know, et cetera. I mean, that's as, long as, as long as the user experience, Tom, which is what you're talking about, is pristine. Yeah. It's got to be. Important. Right. But with 5G and cloud, right. that's what he's saying. Exactly. It will not be a problem whether you're in China or in Brooklyn. And, and so yeah, that, you're you're getting another million revenue per game. I mean, I think I think what'd be cool is I think it's inevitable that we're gonna have you can buy the uh, uh, courtside seats for hundred bucks to sit next to Jack Nicholson, or you can do the nosebleeds for two dollars. Uh, right. It's just it, it is gonna end up replicating basically what we have in real life. Right. And but it's still not real life. That's the key. Well, well but well, who, who's to say? Right. Well, Wait, but I'm thinking. Just, so I'm thinking yeah. of like the. Both the decline in the pricing of the hardware mm-hmm. and the miniaturization of the hardware and the lightning of the hardware. So in the Magic Leap copy, they talk about lightware, L-I-G-H-T-W-A-R-E, implying that this is not like wearing ski goggles. This is I, I haven't tried them, but in other words, it's not it's not that obtrusive. Um, Which is what the Google Glasses is right, and so so that's what I'm getting to because we we know, we know Snapchat is a, is evolving their uh, uh-huh. spectacles. Um, I thought it was interesting for those of you who saw or read Ready Player One as I did uh, that even though it's set in the 2040s, the guy talked about putting on his headset. Yeah. Which of course is ridiculous. Twenty five years out. That, that was actually my biggest pet peeve watching that movie. No, that's like, so it, like so much of this tech is going to be outdated. By right, the and then his haptic game. gloves. He kept talking about. We're not going to. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. So, if you can effectively eliminate, or effectively eliminate the friction yeah. associated with the physical part of it for the real world experience, mm-hmm. and the software is creatively priced, such as. Um, I don't know, uh, watch the Masters Nick, in a yeah. week and a half in virtual reality for ninety nine ninety nine, and I can do it with Joe. And we're going to mm-hmm. we're gonna connect on Friday afternoon at 3 o'clock and watch the Masters together or other friends. I mean, it yeah. seems like just that could be an enormous market. Oh, going back to what you were saying, it, it will never replace the real experience, and I, I'm a big believer in that. Which is why you price it that way. Yeah. yeah. But I'm also, for instance, uh, none of my favorite teams are new. I'm an Arsenal fan. I'm not going to go fly to London every weekend to go to the Emirates. So to have an ability to watch an Arsenal match in any realistic capacity is worth it to me. So that's kind of like what I'm comparing it to. If you have the direct opportunity, you're probably going to take it. But most people don't. There's limitations in spacing. 
distance, time, and that's the problem that we're effectively solving. Things that physically cannot be rendered otherwise. Right. Okay. Okay. No, I, I, the other point that um, I made in a conversation earlier was that I think the stat in the N- for the NFL is that only 4% of Americans have actually been to an action, to an NFL game. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, and and this probably, if you look at population disbursement and things like that, but also the price of tickets and stuff. So if you think about the idea that, especially a sport like NFL, which is such a huge fan base, that you could offer a great virtual reality experience and using the math that you just cited, um, this could completely dwarf the rights fees associated oh, yeah. with traditional television. I mean, ne- I, I gather... XVR raised uh, $80 million three years ago, roughly, um, because they knew the potential of this. Yeah. And, you know, absolutely brilliant. Yeah. And they probably, they probably got a steal on it. So do a quick overview of um, the ever-dominant Fang Fivesome. I'm like, I'm like who, who's best positioned to win this game? Or not win it, but uh, dominate. Because um, they're all going after it in their own way, maybe except for Apple, I suppose. I mean, I, I, so I, Apple is very interesting to me uh, because they're the only company in the world when it comes down to it that can actually change consumer hardware behavior. Right. And... You know, very heavily rumored that Apple is releasing an augmented reality headset either next year or in 2021, and uh, that's that's the biggest wild card I've got. Eye glasses right now. Uh, Get it? And uh, glasses. Expect to have. <laughs> you know what? I didn't get it. Okay. Just wrote it down. Awesome. <laughs> I don't. I think I don't think I thought of that uh, originally. I think I've seen it, <laughs> but it would be great. Anyway, uh, go back. yeah. No, I, I'm, uh, I mean, I. I follow those guys pretty actively. Um, I think I think Apple is most interestingly positioned. They can take advantage of their consumer user base, their retail network, and actually get people to buy a, 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 a system that they've never had before. Yeah. It changes the game. Now, I, I'm, what I'm projecting is potentially what they do is they take their iPhone 10, iPhone 10s, slide it into something that becomes uh, an AR headset. Uh, I would think that's one way to go. I, I don't know too many of the details. It's one of the tightest kept secrets that I've seen in the industry. Um, that was even the idea a couple of years ago of that of that uh, cardboard headset. Yeah. Remember, there even I have one in my house. Yeah. Yeah. I still have one too. New York Times, maybe? Yes, New York Times. That's the one I have. Right. Yeah. Uh, you were talking about what made my job hard at the beginning, that. Yeah. Because that people were like, oh, yeah, I'll try it. Like, <laughs> no, no, okay. you haven't. Yeah. Right. Um, right. <laughs> I folded up a piece of cardboard. It's not really yeah. that good. I mean, we're going to do a thing. Amazon benefits across yeah. the board. AWS, uh, a few years ago, they licensed a game engine from Crytek. Called, they call it now Lumberyard. That's going to be interesting because that will be a competitor to yeah. uh, Unity and Unreal going forward. Uh, and and cloud connected. gaming could dwarf exactly. all of sports. So you had AWS yeah. on one side, you got Twitch native right. integration on the other side. So Amazon's got some really interesting plays there. Uh, Netflix, I, I don't know how much they come into this space. Yeah. What, I, what I'm obsessed about Netflix is slightly different in the sense that if they keep releasing interactive uh, movies like Bandersnatch, right. the amount of data that they're collecting is absurd. Right. Yeah. Like, do you guys watch that? No, well, not yet. I want so, to. So at the very beginning, it's not a spoiler, but they ask you which serial do you want. It has absolutely no effect on the story. But suddenly you know who likes what serial. Yeah. It's inconsequential, but it's an amazing <laughs> data capture. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, kudos to them for figuring that part out. Uh, Google is, is very interesting. Uh, AR Core and AR Kit from Apple, both are right now very interesting mobile extensions for augmented reality. 
I think it's only a matter of time they turn into actual discrete headsets. Right. Uh, I actually and they bring back Google glasses of some form, perhaps. They they've got a Google glasses too. It's not really like out there, but it's right. kind of working on it. Uh, what I what I'm kind of excited about. I do differentiate mobile augmented reality to what I call discrete augmented reality, which is where you actually have Magic Leap or right. HoloLens two. Right. Uh, I think HoloLens two and Magic Leap have. Know, transformative potential, but it's going to take time because it is significantly more complex hardware. Right. Uh, just on a computational yeah. basis. As opposed to just like a, to use your phone to Pokemon. A- exactly. Right. So, but that's, which is a really good sign because the AI ML stuff that's being developed for facial recognition, etc., can then be translated to the discrete devices. So a lot of the code is being built out already, which is great. And, and so that, that's a huge necessity. It's the hardware that needs to catch up, hardware and hardware infrastructure. Um, and then VR are somewhere in the middle where we're getting there, but you know, it's, it's a lot easier problem to solve than, than discrete they are. So before we get to our last two questions, one is getting back to your business and, sure. and the revenue streams and how it goes. And then the most important question is, those 3D glasses I have in my basement, are they ever gonna be good for anything anymore? They're sitting in a box. Yeah, a museum. So, yeah. Right. Anyway, all right, we'll, we'll skip that. Right. Talk, okay. about, talk about kind of um, sure. the business. Uh, our, our company works as a SaaS model. Uh, you have the actual software. Uh, you have the hardware, which we don't make. We're not a hardware company. Would you um, endorse or recommend specific hardware? We're, we're agnostic. We support what we think is going to be best for our clientele. Yeah. So, for example, for, for the next six months, we have multiple different headsets that we recommend, depending on the type of client you are. So, a you know... Major League Baseball team has a completely different finance structure than you know mom and pop in, in Wisconsin, and we want to make sure that we facilitate that for both sides because these are technologies and software that we want to get to everybody uh, sooner than later. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will say younger players love the system because these are guys who are traveling with their PlayStations every day, mm-hmm. and for them this is just the next evolution of what they've already been doing. So instead of you know spending a whole hour on Fortnite, they'll do thirty minutes on Fortnite, maybe a thirty minutes. <laughs> on have, he's not been kicked out of at least two major league baseball clubhouses. <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> oh really? Just strangers in the Blue Jays. Too much no, of a no distraction. Fortnite. Yeah, so. that's funny. Uh, by the way, before we the, the final questions, um, we we mentioned esports before, and you talked about your experience as a Counter Strike uh, expert. Um, <laughs> do you are there applications for this in esports training? Uh, we believe there are. We're exploring them. Um, there's a lot of assessment technology that we have that right now are for professional sports. I think it's something that we're going to find out more and more over time is how much overlap is there between a esports player and a traditional sports player. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we think it might actually be more than people think. So, for example, a player being able to recognize uh, a pitch, you know, 10 feet, after it's actually left the hand, it's probably not much different than uh, a player being able to recognize a uh, opponent in a periphery and seeing the type of gun that they have and to be able to adjust for that. Interesting. All right. Well, that kind of makes sense. All All right. right, So uh, the first question uh, that we ask everybody um, is about how you stay smart. How, How do you keep up with things? What do you listen to? Who do you follow? Et cetera. Uh, I read a lot, and I will. One of my favorite things is if I find an industry that I'm interested in that I don't know much about, I will find two or three people who are considered experts, and I will hound them for coffee or drinks or dinner because 
on one hand, they're going to teach me things that I have no idea about. On the other, hopefully, I can offer them something that they don't have. Mm-hmm. Good. Are you a, uh, a Twitter fan? I am. I, well, I'm, I'm more actively now than I was historically. Okay. Uh, what about podcasts? Podcasts something I'm warming up to. Uh, I tend to watch more uh, videos on, on the subway okay. than I do uh, listen to. And what podcasts. is your, um, can, can you name one or two essential sources of information about um, immersive technology and VR? Uh, I highly recommend uh, going to uh, Ben Lang's website, roadtovr.com. Roadtovr.com. Uh, they have a newsletter that comes in every day. It's fantastic. Highly recommend it. Uh, I think Ben, I've known now for almost, gosh, five years. He's probably the most objective uh, reporter in the space. Good. Yeah, to me, that's worth a lot. I, you know, I tried to buy him coffee once for two dollars, and he said no. So he only wanted a virtual conference. <laughs> <laughs> right. So now they do their virtual. Yeah. All right. Well, that's all right. Um, and where do where do people find more about Trinity VR? You can check us out at trinityvr.com. Uh, we're also on Twitter and Facebook. You can you can find that just by googling us. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, the last one is about career right. advice. So I'm sure. You've got some thoughts on this. Any advice to people listening about their careers and career development? We, as I mentioned to you previously, we've got a fair number of young people listening who are just starting their careers, uh, starting out with their careers, or mm-hmm. they're uh, people in transition or whatever. So, what can you tell them? You know, one of, one thing that I've learned is students, and you know, I think we went through that in some capacity. Is our students are generally scared of asking for, for example, that coffee, or just wanting to be talked to because. They feel like they don't have anything to offer. Now, I'll give you an example. We were just at MIT Sloan uh, recently, and Trinity VR, we're, we're actually now heading into colleges very aggressively. And it's been phenomenal because I've had so many good relationships with these uh, students who have something to contribute to our company, and I have something to contribute to them, whether it's on mentorship or potentially working with them or teaching them more about what we're doing. There's always a benefit on both sides. So one thing I've always stressed is, Think about what you can offer somebody who you think is significantly more uh, advanced or successful because they have access to something, uh, they don't have access to something that you probably do. Um, and, you know, we were just talking about Snapchat earlier. I think this is one of the most obvious things. But my little sister, I, I don't know much about her world, but she's like a, you know, up and coming makeup person on Instagram. <laughs> just <laughs> what's your name? Talking what's your to her, just talking to her makes me understand that I don't know that world. Yeah. And it's worth something to me because if I don't know that world, I am missing out on understanding a market and, and potential revenue opportunity. Now, not necessarily in makeup. Virtual makeup. <laughs> Virtual makeup. Actually, that's what we're doing next. We've been this so many times that it's going to become real one day. Yeah. <laughs> that's so actually cool. really good insight, though, about, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be a, a formal quid pro quo, but yeah. we can all learn from one another. And um, I, I agree with you. I, I think people... They, if they put a little thought into it, they can think of something, think of ways to help others in the industry, and it's, it's a nice, uh, it's a, and nice relationships develop when it happens. So, cool. Joe, any last uh, questions? Um, you or? Know, the one thing we didn't touch on, in all seriousness, is I think the VR AR applications for industries like medicine and yeah. insurance. Well, it could be a whole other podcast, yeah. That's, but that's where you see re- the real. Uh, well, military uh, too. Like military too, life changing or. Life-saving or military. Yeah. Uh, and medicine really and surgery and things yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's really, it's an amazing topic. So thank you for 
helping us understand it a little oh, bit better because uh, cool. it's um, you know it's one of those ones where we all kind of pay attention peripherally uh, but I think it's going to be like a tsunami in the in the world of sports uh, yeah. very soon. I mean, you can see it. You can see, you kind of sense NBA it. NBA just did now. a deal with, with Intel for five G. Um, well, one of the leagues just did a deal with this week. Yeah, I mean, since it's not commercially available, yeah. I mean, it made the idea yeah. of the deal over well, the beginning. Of the I mean, just just at MIT, um, we had people from other sports and leagues come by, and they're like, well, "What can you do for us?" Yeah. yeah. And I think everybody is interested in figuring out how we can adapt our technology to them. And yeah. we have a big Yeah, we're cool. Yeah. All right. Um, Rahat Ahmed, who is the co-founder and CEO? Chief of Strategy. Chief of Strategy, sorry, of uh, Trinity to VR. We urge all of you to check it out. They're doing really interesting stuff. Um, and as Rahat said, he's a very accessible guy. Yeah. So if you find yourself in New York. Loves his coffee. You want to meet up. Yeah, he obviously likes to be... Uh, and I'm learning to use Twitter more. <laughs> okay. And uh, he's learning about Instagram makeup tips and things like that. So uh, <laughs> thank you so much on behalf of everybody here. Uh, Thanks, It was guys. really good to have you. So appreciate the time. Joe, thank you. It was a great chat. Yep. Always learning. More disruption. Uh, two ears, one mouth. Exactly. Listen twice. Although I noticed when you tweeted that last week, you said two years, one mouth. I don't I know if you saw that. There was yeah, a, I, got, I guess a typo. I typing problems. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Always read uh, when you... Proofread before you tweet. Yeah, I know. You got to be careful in those tweets. Um, All right. Well, thanks, guys. That was good. Thank you, Royce. Um, Thanks, everybody, for listening. This has been The Cusp Show, and we look forward to the next one on what topic. I don't know yet, but we'll, uh, we'll let you know when we report back in. So thanks for listening.